Well, it was a chilly winter evening in London, England, as uh, Matthew Henry, uh, he was an older gentleman, was making his way home after a long day of work. Matthew chose to walk. He, he didn't mind the walk, actually enjoyed the exercise, as well as just 10 or 15 minutes to decompress and be alone after what could sometimes be a stressful day. On, uh, on this particular evening, I could imagine lifting my eyes to the sky and seeing a few flurries of snow fall to the ground, maybe a few even touching my skin and melting away. And pretty soon you'd notice that as the last bit of sunlight had vanished into the night, the only things left to illuminate these cold, stone, lonely London streets are a few stray street lamps. So Matthew continued on his, his walk back home, inching closer and closer, step by step, breathing in and breathing out, maybe even able to see his breath in the cold air of the night. When suddenly Matthew felt a hand grip his shoulder. He turned around, and, and to his surprise, there was a taller gentleman dressed in all dark clothes standing before him, waving a knife in his face. Is there money in the bag? The man said. Is there money in the bag? He murmured again in a deep voice with, with a certain look in his eye. Matthew didn't have time to speak, certainly didn't have time to think. So he tore the satchel off of his shoulder and handed it to the man, watching the criminal disappear into the same shadows of the night from which he came. So now, left alone once again, now left with nothing but a tight leather jacket wrapped around his back and his chest, his shoulders, Matthew resumed his walk back home, this time with a little bit more urgency. Matthew finally arrived at his front door, unlocked it, and slammed the knob behind him, walking upstairs and stripping down from his work clothes as he tucked himself into bed. After just a few minutes of blankly staring up at his ceiling, Matthew rolled over onto his side and blew out the candle flame that was sitting on his bedside table. You know, this is, um, this is a true story. And if I had to guess, as Matthew was lying there in his bed, after being robbed, 
now in the darkness, blankly staring at his ceiling, I'm going to guess there were quite a few emotions pulsing through his body in that moment. Just probably anxious. Maybe just trying to get his heart rate down a little bit. I think it's safe to say he had some frustration in him. Maybe a little angry. Just had, I was just robbed. I didn't do anything to deserve this. All my stuff is gone. Maybe traumatized. Being robbed in the, in the night at knife point. I think that'll stick with someone. But as Matthew lays there in the dark, now without his satchel, without his notes, without his book, without his money, without his work, I find it really hard to believe that Matthew had even an ounce of gratitude in that moment. I've got a second story for us this morning, and this one is also true, coming from Luke uh, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten that were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now one of them turned back glorifying God. You know, I, I won't beat around the bush this morning. Uh, I think Jesus' message, I think the biblical author's message in this text uh, is actually pretty clear. Uh, be the one. Uh, but with that, uh, there comes a deeper layer, layer right? a deeper level, and, and that prompts the question of why. Why, why should I care? Why does it matter to me? Does it matter to God? Why, why should I be the one? After, uh, after sitting with this text for some time now, I, I think we can actually break the passage down into three separate scenes. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to go three, through each of the three scenes together, and we're going to talk about them, we're going to analyze them, and we're going to talk about what this story actually means, and hopefully find an answer to, to why we should be the one. Okay, so we'll start with scene one. And after reading this story over and over, I think it's fair to title scene one as the encounter. Okay, so 
the encounter we see in the first three verses of this passage, verses 11, 12, and 13. So if you have your Bible open to Luke 17 now, uh, or if you've got uh, version on your, on your, uh, your phone, uh, then that's totally fine. And feel free to go through the text with me as we look into each of the three scenes. All right, the encounter. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. A a group of 10 leprous men, a group of any number of leprous men in the ancient Near East uh, would not have been an uncommon sight. And I think to fully understand uh, the meaning, the weight, the importance of this story and of the first scene, I think we first need to actually understand the, the meaning and the importance and the relevance of leprosy in this culture. Uh, I, I could certainly try to describe leprosy to you. Some of you may actually have uh, some sort of picture in your mind of what leprosy may look like and how it may affect someone, um, and that's great. Uh, but I actually think I've come across a Jewish cultural scholar named Alfred Eldersheim. And I think Eldersheim uh, paints a really solid picture of how leprosy ruins the flesh and ruins a life. Uh, so I'd like to read this description. Um, and as, as I'm speaking these words, I'm actually gonna invite you to uh, close your eyes and uh, just relax a little bit. I'm gonna invite you to maybe lean back into the cushion of your seat and drop your shoulders. Uh, but, but as you've got your eyes shut, as you're relaxed, uh, I want these words to paint a picture in your mind. Alfred Eldersheim says, the disease which we today call leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon, the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to the poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings, so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or are absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. His throat becomes hoarse, and you can now not only see, feel, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice, and if you stay with him for some time, you can even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor. All right, with that picture in your mind, I'm gonna invite you to open your eyes and join me once again. Uh, I want you to keep that image fresh uh, throughout the morning. The text says that these 10 men stood off at a distance, but they didn't really have a choice, did they? It was actually written law that the infected individual must keep their distance from everyone else, the rest of the community, even shouting, unclean, 
unclean in that same raspy voice if a man, woman, or child of the village came too near. Leprosy was not something that people, the communities, could afford to spread. I think it's also important to note that uh, the group of 10 that we're dealing with this morning, due to the geographic location of this text, uh, were likely a mix of both Jews and Samaritans, two, two people who did not like each other, did not get along in ancient times. And I think that fact actually speaks to the power of leprosy again, reminding naturally born, sworn enemies that at the end of the day, we're just men in need. And aren't we all just men and women in need? These are the people who encounter Jesus. Verse 13. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You can almost hear the desperation in their voices. Jesus, Jesus, I don't know if what they say about you is true. I don't know if what I've heard about you is true. I don't know about you. But if, but if I don't try this, if I don't at least try to put this into your hands, then, then this, is, this is how I die. This is how I go. Because leprosy is taking me down with it. You know, if, if you're like me, this is actually the point of the story where you maybe start to see some resemblance in yourself and the 10 leprous men. Because this, this is when I am most often finding myself crying out to Jesus in, in my own times of desperation. I read this story I read the 10 leprous men, and I, I read myself. So we enter scene two now. Uh, we've concluded scene one, remember the, the encounter? And now we're entering what I like to call the departure. And scene two is actually the shortest of the three scenes. It's only one verse, it's verse 14. Here it is. Uh, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. You know, I, think, I think this is becoming uh, such an odd story at this point. Uh, you know, I, I read scene two. I read the departure. And I ask, why, why did Jesus not just, just heal them right then and there? We know that he could have cleansed them of their leprosy, but instead, he requests something that's seemingly arbitrary. Go and show yourselves to the priest. And while this seems a little odd at first glance, uh, I, think, I think there's actually uh, intention behind this. I think Jesus is, is searching for something. 
this is a theme threaded throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament. Um, Jesus, uh, in the Gospels, requires faith to be healed. And I think that's what Jesus is looking for here. I've actually got a few other examples uh, of similar passages uh, throughout uh, Matthew and Mark. Uh, beginning with Matthew 9, 27 through 29, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this. They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. Okay, and we see something similar in Mark 9, uh, 20 through 24, when Jesus drives a spirit out of a possessed boy. Verse 20, they brought the boy to him, And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began to roll around and foam at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? The boy's father responded, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water in an attempt to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. And help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to he who believes. So you, you probably see the theme by now. Uh, the pieces are, are starting to take shape and come together. Uh, healing, especially in the Gospels, uh, requires faith. And the fact that the ten men followed Jesus' instructions, no matter how random, how arbitrary they may have seen, they gave Jesus exactly what he was looking for. And it's important that we understand the relationship between leprosy and the priests in a story like this as well. The priests were in charge of declaring an individual as unclean. Remember we talked about them having to shout the word unclean, unclean. Uh, when a community member uh, drew near. Uh, We talked about the symptoms of leprosy. I I read the words of Alfred Eldersheim, the Jewish scholar. Uh, You've got that image. The image was on the screen, the the scaly skin, the dirty ulcers and the sores, the fingers and toes falling off the body. These are not simple symptoms to hide and even more difficult to ignore. You'd notice a, a, a symptom or two of leprosy and you'd get concerned. Your family would get concerned. And before you know it, you, you find yourself standing before a priest as they examine your ruining flesh. And moments later, they break the bad news. And it's not good. You've got leprosy. You're infected. You're unclean. There are few more devastating words that a man or woman in the ancient Near East could hear. It's it's important to remember that leprosy uh, had no cure. There was no remedy. There was no way to slow it down. There was no way to conceal it. Remember, leprosy 
is bringing the leper down with it and to death. But I, I, think, I think that that is why this statement, this command from Jesus uh, is actually so valuable and so meaningful and carries so much weight. Because Jesus is saying, go and show yourselves to the priests, but this time, show them that you are clean. I can remember being really young, uh, probably in uh, third or fourth grade. Um, I think we've actually got some pictures. Yeah, there's uh, my brother Easton and I. Lots of you know Easton. Uh, When when Easton and I were young, there's one with Reagan. When Easton and I were young, uh, we shared a room. Easton's bed was uh, pressed up against one one wall and mine tucked in the corner of the other. Uh, And I remember our nighttime routine. I remember it starting with Easton and I hearing footsteps coming up the creaky old wooden hallway, and we'd hear a subtle knock, and we'd see, we'd see our mom peek her head into our door frame, and she'd say, boys, it's about, t- it's about time for bed. It's getting late. Uh, start heading that way, she'd say. Uh, take off your dirty clothes, change into your PJs, make sure to wash your face. And be sure to brush your teeth, she'd say. And, and, and let me see when you're done. So Easton and I would, would pop up from our old springy mattresses and, and scamper across the hall into the bathroom, now standing before our enormous mirror. And we'd strip down from our old clothes and put our pajamas on. And we'd splash water on our face with uh, water all over the counter and the cabinets and the floor and the rug And then we'd get the toothpaste out and we'd brush our teeth. And I remember trying to clean the bathroom uh, to the best of our ability at that age. Um, Easton wasn't much help with that. Uh, We're roommates now at Johnson, and he's still not. (laughs) Uh, So we would would finish our nighttime routine, but there there was still one last step as we had put our toothpaste and our toothbrushes away and wiped up some of the water and made our pile of laundry behind the door, uh, we'd walk down the same old creaky wooden hallway to my mom and dad's room. And, and we'd, we'd show our mom. Mom, look, we're, uh, we're clean, we're ready for bed. We've got our PJs on, we've washed our face, and and we've brushed our teeth. And I remember Easton and I smiling. We'd, we'd grin ear to ear. And our mom, would, she would act like we'd done such a thorough job of brushing our teeth uh, that, that it was actually blinding her. Uh, the, the pearly uh, white teeth of, of a uh, nine and a six-year-old were just uh, too much for her to handle. She'd go, oh, put them away. You've done such a good job. You've done so well tonight. Um, you know, looking back, uh, now that I'm a 21-year-old college student, uh, I know that that wasn't really the case. My mom wasn't actually blinded by Easton and I showing her our teeth after they'd been brushed. Um, but that was actually just a good parenting tactic. Um, so if there are parents in the room, and I know there are, uh, feel free to take notes. Um, maybe, maybe you see where I'm going with this. Um, at the end of the day, at the end of the night, when Easton and I were all ready for bed, 
my mom wanted to make sure. She, she wanted to examine. Uh, she wanted proof. She wanted to ensure that we were clean uh, rather than unclean before going to bed. And in a similar way, we can understand the relationship between a leprous man, a leprous woman, uh, and a priest. Uh, except that circumstance obviously carries much more weight. And on their way to show themselves to the priests, the ten men became clean. The departure, scene two, was an act of faith. All ten men were cleansed because all ten men had faith. So now we enter scene three. Uh, The departure has come to its end, and we now enter what I have titled uh, the return, uh, the final scene. We've been through the encounter, we just concluded the departure, and now the return. Verses 15 through 19, this is the end of the passage. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God in a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus, then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten that were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. So now finally, after working through all three scenes, the encounter, the departure, and now the return, we see the one. The one who cries out to Jesus in a time of need and desperation, but then remembers to return and fall at his feet after performing a miracle that only Jesus could have done. And you know, part of, part of me really loves the end of this story. I love this con- conclusion. Just because I think uh, there is an inherent beauty within this third scene, within the return. Because I can imagine the ten men walking together as a group, chatting amongst themselves, and suddenly realizing the ulcers are gone. I can, I can feel my hands again. My fingers look healthy. My toes. I'd been cleansed. And I'd imagine that at about that moment, eyes fill with tears. And then I I can picture not not ten, but just one of the former leprous men turning around, working his way back into his village, back into his community, searching every corner, every street, every home for Jesus. And then and then laying his eyes on Jesus once again. And then I'd imagine the tears start to flow as he approaches him and puts his face 
on the ground at his feet, calling out, glorifying him in a loud voice. I, I, think, I think that's beautiful, uh, and I, I don't think that anyone can deny uh, the beauty that is written into this passage. But with all of that, um, and how beautiful we may think that this scene is, the way that Jesus responds is uh, simply not what I would have expected, to be honest with you. Were there not 10 that were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Only one. That's it. Jesus doesn't celebrate the one. Jesus actually misses the nine, and that's where his attention goes. So here I am, and here you are with me, and I'm urging you, and I'm urging myself to be the one, be the one be the one. We've talked about it all morning. But at about this point in the story, uh, I'm wondering if it's easier to just say, don't be one of the nine. You know, the nine were all willing to follow religious ritual, going back and showing themselves to the priests. Remember, that was a piece of their culture. But when it, was, when it was time to return to Jesus, it's, it's too much to ask. Not for me. So, I, I think now we, we probably have to wonder, and we probably have to ask ourselves the question, how many of us are willing to go through with the religious ritual. But, but when, it's, when it's time to, to go through with the third scene, when it's time to return to the feet of Jesus on our face, not for me. Not today, at least. You know, I, I go, to, sun, I go to, to church every Sunday. I wouldn't miss it. Maybe, maybe I tithe. It's a good thing. I drop my kids off at, at, at youth group, usually on time. Some of you may be thinking to yourself. Um, I volunteer every once in a while. Maybe I even find myself in a Bible study or a small group. Uh, th- those are really good things. Um, and I want you to hear me say uh, that I think God does get glory in these things. And I think that those are faithful acts. And I'm not saying anything different. But how many of us are willing to find ourselves on our face at the feet of Jesus? Verse 18, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner, this 
Samaritan man who isn't even supposed to like my Jewish people. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well, Jesus said. Your faith has made you well. So, so maybe that's it then. Maybe we're on to something uh, with this. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. I, I want to be the one. Maybe I want to be the one because it's my faith that makes me well. And, you know, I think if, I think if that's the conclusion that we come to this morning, and if that's where we land after reading Jesus, after reading uh, the word of God, and after reading the story of these ten leprous men, uh, then I, I think we're still missing it. I think we're actually missing the point if we walk away from this passage saying, I, I want to be the one because it makes me well. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. No, I, I want to be the one because my gratitude glorifies God and that's why we're here. You know, we, uh, we opened this morning with a story about uh, the older English gentleman, Matthew Henry. There's actually a conclusion to that story. Um, there's a, a little bit more to be said. The next morning, waking up under his cover, maybe noticing some sunlight peering through his window as he hears the wind outside. And he wakes up and, and he stares Blankly, once again, uh, at, at his ceiling. But as he's laying there with his head resting on the pillow, he, he rolls over onto his side once again, and he, he reaches out, and he grabs an old journal off of his bedside table. And he grabs a pen, and he flips to the, uh, the next blank page, even some dust between pages, uh, but he starts to write. Let me be thankful, firstly, because I've never been robbed before. Second, although he took my satchel, he did not take my life. Third, although he took everything I had, it really, it really wasn't very much. And I want you to hear the fourth Fourth. Let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed, but not I who had to do the robbing. So I'm curious now, um, after spending a morning together and thinking about this passage, we'll use a scale from one to 10, uh, 10 being the greatest. Where, where, do, you, where do you rank your gratitude. Try to get a number in your head, and I don't, I don't need a show of fingers. Uh, but where do you rank your gratitude? And at this moment, in this time of reflection, if you're like me, uh, you're, you're probably realizing uh, I have not been living like the one. 
I've actually been living more like the nine. One of the nine who Jesus is missing, by the way. Be the one. And maybe, uh, maybe you're a student, um, and you, you finally like school. You've got a good group of friends around you. you. You actually like your teachers. You're kind of interested in what you're studying. Be the one. That's, that's not a small thing. Maybe, maybe you just sold your house, or maybe you just bought a house. It's not easy to do today. Be the one. Maybe you've had a recent uh, surgery and you were, you were nervous about it, you were worked up, but uh, now, now it's over and, and there were no complications. Everything was, was smooth, everything was perfect, and now you just have to recover. The hard part's over. Be the one. That in itself is a praiseworthy thing. Find yourself at the feet of Jesus for that. You know, I, I get it, though. Um, gratitude is not always an easy thing. It's much easier said than done. Because how, how am I supposed to have gratitude? What am I supposed to do when, when I can't make rent this month? What, what am I supposed to do when my doctor calls me and, and I receive a life-changing diagnosis and I don't know what comes next? What am I supposed to do when I come home after a long day of work and I open the front door just to see divorce papers scattered across the dinner table. It's just, just be the one, right? Easy to say, it's short, it's sweet, it's tough. There's, a, there's an iconic Hebrew Bible, Old Testament story um, of three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down and worship uh, the false gods of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, which next to Assyria was one of the most terrorizing empires, uh, not just in scripture, uh, but actually throughout all of human history. And uh, actually, I actually love this story, and I think it pairs really well uh, with this morning, uh, because the, this is a story that Jesus, as well as the 10 leprous men that we've read about, would have known very well. They would have been well aware of this con the contents of this story from Daniel. So here it goes, Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, 
Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Uh, if, you, if you know this story from Daniel, uh, God does end up saving these three Jewish men. And I believe that's for one reason, uh, because it brings God glory. He will deliver us. But even if he does not, be the one. Because our gratitude glorifies God. Well, God, we, uh, we are thankful for this morning and uh, we're thankful for this time and this community and this space, uh, God. But not just today, uh, but also for the fact that uh, we can meet and we can not only worship, but uh, talk about you with one another on a regular basis, God, that this is a weekly occurrence for us. We know that that in itself is a blessing and that in itself is praiseworthy. And for that alone, we should find ourselves on our face at your feet. So God, we're thankful for your word. We are thankful for you, Jesus. We're thankful for your interaction with these 10 outcasts, these 10 men, these 10 people who were deemed unclean and deemed ruined by their community and by their society. And God, we're thankful for your heart. We're thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. And with that, we say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, amen.